Welcome to Between the Lines, a podcast for middle schoolers all about books. From the newest releases, to under-the-radar reads, to the latest in YA news, get it all here. I'm Jen Duell from Richmond Public Library. And I'm Barbara Haas from Richmond Public Schools. Each month, we host a new middle school student as our guest host. And this month's guest host is James. James, would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, no. Hello, I'm James. I'm in sixth grade at collegiate school. I like to write my own comic books. I like to read mostly fantasy and science fiction books. And I'm in Boy Scouts. Awesome. I look forward to reading some of your comics one day, James. <laughs> well, this is episode eight of Between the Lines, our podcast dedicated to books for middle schoolers. We are so excited to be talking to you about some awesome books we're currently reading, some book to movie adaptations, and some YA news. Yay, I'm excited too. Thanks for being here with us, James. So the first thing we always do, and one of my favorite parts is we talk about what we're currently reading. And this always makes my to-be-read pile grow. So let's dive right in and talk about what we're reading now or maybe what we've just finished. Barbara, do you want to go first? Sure. So I am reading Jellico Road. And I'm reading this book because one of the questions that our team judges asked during the Yava Awards ceremony was, what is your favorite book? And they asked this question to all the authors. And Katie Upperman said, Jellico Road. And as soon as she said that, three other authors were like, oh my gosh, I love that book. Or I read that book because Katie told me to read that book. So it had a lot of great buzz about it. So that's why I picked it up. I will say I'm about a third of the way in and I haven't quite figured it out yet, but it is a book about a young girl, Taylor, who has lived at the Jellicoe School since she was found by one of the women who work at the school. The book is set in Australia and the land plays a big part of the plot. The students of Jellicoe School form a group that is constantly battling for territory with the townies, the people who live in the town, and the cadets, which is a group of military school students. They're all boys who come to town once a year to train for their maneuvers. So at the start of the book, Taylor is elected as the leader of the Jellicoe School students. And her main job is to negotiate for more territory with these other factions, the townies and the cadets. But the subplot is Hannah, who is the woman who had found Taylor, is writing this book with these characters that are somehow intertwined with the people on Jellicoe Road. But it's told from different time perspectives, and I haven't quite figured it out yet. I do say that there is a mystery in there, and I love a good mystery, especially one that I am having a hard time figuring out. And also, if the majority of the Yava authors recommend this book, then it has to be good. So that's what I'm reading, Delico Road. I have to say that book has been on 
my to be read list for a while. And I too put it on hold after I heard all the authors recommend it. And that my copy, I just got a notification. My copy just came in at the library. So I'll be reading it too. But to me, it sounds like it's got some like divergent or like Hunger Games with like the different sort of groups of people sort of competing against each other, maybe along those same veins. Do you get that feeling so far, Barbara? I don't think there's any, there's not any fantasy necessarily, maybe some magical realism. I haven't gotten far enough to figure out what's going on with these other characters in the book that Hannah's writing, but there is definitely competition between these groups. If one of the factions crosses over, over into another's territory, bad things happen. So in that respect, it's very Hunger Games-esque, but it's not post-apocalyptic or there's not any set competitions, or at least not yet. Have you read it before, James? Have you Are you familiar with the book? Uh, no, I haven't heard of it before, but it sounds pretty cool. There is a sense of adventure about it, James, that I think that might appeal to you. Now I really want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can put it on hold too. <laughs> and who did you say that book was by? Is it Melina Marchetta? It is. And she is Australian. And I do, I love reading books from other cultures because there's, you know, phrases and gestures and stuff that are just a little bit different than how we do things here. So I love learning about what other cultures experience and do. I could see how the Outback would be a really cool backdrop to yeah. an adventure and mystery story too. Yeah. Well, James, what are you reading right now? I'm reading two things right now, a book for school and a book for just free time. The one for school is The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind by William Kumquamba. It's about a boy who lives in Malawi, Africa, and his village doesn't like have electricity like we do. The only people who have electricity are like the really wealthy, and it's done by a company called Escom, and they shut it off at like nighttime. So like when you want to buy lights for like nighttime, you still don't get to see at dark. So Escom, it really isn't a sustainable power source. So uh, William, his family's pretty poor, and so he can't afford to go to school. So he tries to catch up by going into the village library. While he's in the library, he learns about all like electricity, and he experiments with his friend Gilbert and his uh, cousin Jeffrey. One day he decides, hey, I'll bring power to my house. And he decides to build a windmill using spare parts he found around the junkyard. So I think that was really cool. And I'm not really into like the electrical part of science. And that made it look really awesome. And the coolest part is it's based on a true story. It's by William Kumquamba himself. So it's narrating his whole life. He's the one that built the windmill? Yes. It's wow. It's pretty much an autobiography. That's so cool. I'm also reading a fantasy book called Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. It's a really good one. It's by Rick Riordan, and it's a fantasy book. So Percy is a boy. He like, has dyslexia and ADHD, and he's realized that there's like Greek gods and Greek monsters from like mythology all around the place in the modern world. So he's kind of freaked out by this, and then he goes to this like camp called Camp Half-Blood, and it's run by this god for the demigods to, like, learn and fight against the monsters and stuff. And while Percy's there, he gets blamed for stealing Zeus, who's, like, the big god, the famous one who's in control of everything, for stealing Zeus's, like, famous weapon, which is a lightning bolt. So he must find the true thief to clear his name. So it's a really good book. 
Have you read this Percy Jackson before? Uh, yes, I've read the series many times. Really so you're rereading that. I love that. Um, yeah. It feels like an old friend when you go back and read those books you really love. Yeah. You know, this is a conversation I want to have. So I never reread books, even if I loved them, because I'm so scared that if I go back and reread it, I won't like it as much. And I just don't want to ruin my fond memories of my favorite books. But that wasn't your experience with this, James? Oh, no. I've read it like, we read the series like five times in a row. Every time there's a new book that comes out, I just want to like, I haven't read the series in a while, so I'd want to reread it so I could really understand the new one. So I didn't realize a new book came out in the fall. Is it part of the Percy Jackson series or is it like an addendum? It's kind of like the Marvel Universe a bit like if you've seen the movies there'd be like different movies like there'd be like Iron Man and Captain America and Hulk but they'd right. all be part of the same movie right they'll all be part of the same like universe it's kind of like with Percy Jackson there's the first five books for Percy Jackson then it goes to the series called Heroes of Olympus right and then it goes to Trials of Apollo and oh. the final one in the series came out this fall so I'm rereading all those 14 books <gasps> catch up. Wow, that's a lot. Good for you. Yeah, it's probably going to take me a while. That's impressive. And I would say dedication on your part and also just speak so highly of the series if you love it enough to reread it that many times. Now, James, I'm curious. I think we might have talked about this in another episode. Rick Rorden publishes another collection of books under Rick Rorden Presents. And they're all by different authors. And they're also based on mythology, but mythology from different cultures. So there might be one based on Korean mythology and another one based on Indian mythology. Uh, Have you heard of those? He's done uh, two series like that. What? Um, the first of them is nor the, is the first of them, which is the one I haven't read, is Egyptian mythology. So it has like Anubis and this Ra and all those other guys. And he's also done the ones I have read, the Magnumus Chase series, which is Norse mythology which is really good because my uh, grandpa on my mom's side came from Norwegian areas. So it's pretty cool to like learn about the mythology that came from that area and stuff. That's awesome. You know, I hear everybody talking about Percy Jackson, but I haven't read any of the books yet. So I guess I need to get on that. (laughs) I read the first one in the Heroes of Olympus. I read Percy Jackson and I read the first one in Egyptian. So I think it was the Red Pyramid, maybe. Well, let me tell you about what I'm reading. I can't Uh, wait. (laughs) I'm reading a graphic novel and it's actually, I'm sorry, the really, truly it's a graphic biography, which I think is interesting because we often just categorize anything graphic as a graphic novel, but it's not technically a novel. It's a biography and it's about a horse trainer named Gail Rufu. I'm assuming that's Rafu maybe. And it's written by her cousin, G. Neri, who also wrote the graphic novel Yummy. So they're cousins and Gail meets up with G. Neri at a family event. And he says to her, well, how have things been going? And she says, well, let me just tell you, I stole a horse. And that's how they... (laughs) 
And that's how this story comes to be. And she tells him the story and then he thinks it's so amazing. And it really is kind of so incredible. It's hard to believe it's true, but it is. That he decides that he needs to make a graphic biography about it. What, um, what is the title, Jen? It's called Grand Theft Horse. So Gail is part owner of this problem child, an untamed thoroughbred named Urgent Envoy. So she co-owns him with a bunch of businessmen, and she's really the only one that knows anything about horses. But she has a reputation for being able to train sort of the untrainable horses. So she decides to take this horse on, and she tells her partners, co-owners, that she needs a year with him to train him and get him ready for the races. She takes him on and he's doing really well, so well that the other cone owners say, oh, we're not going to wait a year. You're five months in, it's time to race him. Even though she is against this, she has to go along with it because she really only owns 20% of him. So he races and her fear comes true and he develops a hairline fracture, which for a horse is pretty big deal. And so she's like, we need to rest him. She's kind of looking out for his best interest. And the other co-owners say, no, 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 we're going to give him a lot of drugs and we're going to race him again, which apparently from learning from this book, that's kind of common in horse racing world. But Gail, the trainer, knows that this will kill him if they do this. Like it would just spell the end because if horses have serious injuries in their legs, it's very hard for them to go on. So in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve, she steals him. And so that's the part that I've gotten to in this graphic novel. I haven't finished it, but according to sort of the summary on the back, she goes to war essentially with these co-owners in court to fight them for ownership of urgent envoys. And essentially she's not only fighting for him, but she's really fighting for the humane treatment of all animals, specifically horses in racing. She studies law at night so that she can help fight this battle. And you really learn a lot about the horse racing industry and sort of how corrupt it is and how inhumane it is, which I didn't know. And it's actually really interesting. I don't follow horse racing and I did not plan this, but apparently yesterday was the Kentucky Derby. It um, sure was. <laughs> so it's ironic that I was reading it during this time, but it really gave me sort of a vision of what the darker side of that is. I was aware because I'm a dog person. I was aware of the darker side of dog racing, but just didn't really know about it horse racing as much. So anyways, Gail decides to like take on the industry. This graphic novel is super inspiring. It opens up with act her actual theft of the horse and then kind of goes back in history and talks about the relationship that builds up between her as she's training this horse. And the illustrations are amazing. Neri gives the horse like such personality with it. Like if you look at the facial expressions of the horse, in the uh, the biography, even though the horse obviously can't talk, you get an idea of what he's thinking the whole entire time just because the illustrations are so amazing. So I am loving this graphic biography so far. And I think it was the perfect way to present this story, as I said, in illustrative form, because you really get a feel for this horse. The horse is a true character in the story as well. So that's what I'm reading right now. That was going to be my question to you is, you know, whether or not 
it being a graphic novel lends to or distracts from the story itself. Yeah, I think it lends to it completely. Like I said, because the horse is able to become a character in a way that I don't know they could describe with words, only through pictures. Right. It sounds right up your alley, Jen, an animal story. And I I don't have much knowledge of the horse racing industry either, but I do know it does have a reputation for being pretty corrupt and not much care and attention to the animal itself. And I think just in, you know, a horse is owned by corporations and business people. It's a, an asset or a, it's property and not a living, breathing creature. Yeah, kind of sad. Do you like animal stories, James? I've read some of them, but not that much. I was going to say earlier that it showed like the darker side of the horse industry. And that reminded me of a book called Chew on This, which shows the darker side of the fast food industry. Oh, yeah. So I was relating that to that. Yeah. I think That's it's, a good connection. I think it's interesting and it, it is worthwhile for us to read and really get the whole picture of various industries and, you know, especially like with fast food where it affects your life if you eat fast food and, and really just being informed and, you know, knowing the ins and outs of things rather than just kind of being ignorant of them. I think that's, that's good. So you recommend that book too, James? Yeah. Awesome. So let's transition and talk about our topic for this month's episode, which is book to movie adaptations. And there are a lot out there. And I think the sort of going thought is that movies don't live up to the book. So I'm curious as we go through this and we talk about some of our book to movie adaptations that we've seen and read, what you think, whether or not the movie lived up to the book. So James, would you be up for going first on this one? Um, sure. Okay. Um, normally, uh, someone would expect that I would do like a Harry Potter, but <laughs> I'm not going to do that this time, even though I really am enjoying Harry Potter. <laughs> um, Me too. Instead, I'm doing, you might have seen the movies. It's How to Train Your Dragon. It's PG and it's about this guy named Hiccup, who's a Viking. So the story it's by uh, Cressida Cowell, and it's like totally different from the movie. Basically, the plot of what the Vikings do is they train dragons to like hunt for them and do stuff. And it's different in the movies because in the movies, the humans are fighting like a war against the dragons. So Hiccup and his friends have to go up in this cave and get a dragon as their own. But that's really different in the movie because Hiccup wants to like slay a dragon. In the movie, he creates this machine and shoots this like net, which caught a dragon. And in the book, Hiccup goes in this cave and like picks up this really, really tiny dragon. While in the movie, the dragon's huge. He names him the same thing, Toothless. And Toothless in the book is a small, booger-colored green dragon (laughs) who's useless. Well, in the movie, it's the rarest dragon of them all, shoots like purple fire, and Hiccup can ride it. It's completely different. And the dragon in the movie has teeth, even though it's named Toothless, so that's a little shaky. Those are some pretty major differences. Yeah, and that's not all. Um, Most of the guys in the movie are not at all in the book. So there's this girl named Astrid, who Hiccup has a crush on, not in the book. There's these crazy twins, not in the book. 
And Hiccup's friend in the book is named Fishlegs, and he's a little skinny boy. Well, in the movie, he's a big fat guy. So did you enjoy the movie? Uh, yes, there are two sequels to it. Okay. So they, they were really good, but they're just completely different from the book because there's like 12 books. Did you enjoy the books? Uh, yes, they're okay. like one of my favorites of all time. I have all That's 12 books. awesome. I have never read the books or seen any of the movies. So, in fact, I didn't even know there were books. Yeah, there's even a TV show for it on Netflix, which takes place during between the first movie and the second movie. Wow. So does the TV show follow the storyline of the movies or the storyline of the books? The storyline of the movies. Oh. Um, it's really weird because, like, it's kind of funny, too, because you get, like, uh, Toothless, who's supposed to be, like, the most common dragon in the world in the books to toothless in the movies who's like huge black as night and like really cool so it's just really funny to see the difference between the movies yeah yeah do you have a preference between book and movie that's so cruel I can't choose (laughs) (laughs) well you don't have to choose that's fine it sounds like you do enjoy them both though Yes, they're both really good. When you were talking, James, it made me think of another book that I've read about dragons. It's called Burn by Patrick Ness. And it's, I would say it's more along the lines of the movies in that it's kind of the dragons against the people, but they're not really against. They kind of cohabit, they coexist. They don't work together. I really enjoyed that book too. So if if you like dragon stories, I would recommend that one. Uh, yeah, I really like uh, dragon stories. There's this another series called The Wings of Fire. Ooh. And it's about um, these dragon nets, which are like baby dragons. And there's this war between all the dragons and there's like different kinds of dragons. And they're like destined to stop the war. Is that one a graphic novel or is that a regular book? Well, there's the original book series, but they turned it into a graphic novel. So there's the chapter books and then there's the graphic novels. Wow. Something for everyone. I love that. Well, the book to movie adaptation that I wanted to talk about was The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. And I'm confident most people have heard of this. It was a pretty popular book. It was published back in 2017. And the book is about 16-year-old Star, who kind of lives between two worlds. She lives in a lower income neighborhood, but her parents pay for her to go to this fancy prep school in the suburbs. So she kind of feels caught between the two, two worlds. And the sort of the the crux of the story is that she has this friend named Khalil who is fatally shot by the police when they're pulled over together. So she witnesses this whole thing. So the story really kind of correlates with a lot of the things that we're talking about in real life right now with the Black Lives Matter movement and all of that. So the book became pretty popular, uh, I think, because it resonated with so many people. In the story, after Khalil's death, it makes national headlines. Some people are saying he was a thug, he was a gangbanger, he was a drug dealer, you know, and kind of defending his death that, you know, saying it was called for, I guess. And then there are other people that are saying he was profiled because he was a black man. And so he 
that was the reason that he was killed was because of his race. And so in the story, protests begin to happen and sort of chaos ensues in Star's neighborhood. And everybody wants Star to speak out because she witnessed it. And so I won't tell you the rest because that will spoil the story. But as you can imagine, Star is caught in a very tough place with how to deal with this. So the book was so popular, they made it into a movie, which also is really popular. I looked it up and it received 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I was like, that's a pretty high scoring for Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that's huge on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) And when I was researching this, I learned that they actually started making the movie while Angie Thomas, the author, was still writing the book, which I think is kind of unusual. I think usually the book comes out, it's super popular. And then a couple of years later, they make the movie. But in this sense, I think they anticipated how popular the book was going to be and decided to go ahead and start working on the movie. So Angie Thomas, the author, actually had a say throughout the whole process of writing and making the movie into what changes were being made, how they were sort of adapting the book. So as a consequence, it's a pretty faithful adaptation. It correlates pretty well with the book. My favorite part was the star actress, who played Star. Her name was Amandla Stenberg. And you might know her. She played Rue in the Hunger Games movie. She played Ruby in The Darkest Minds. And she was also in the movie Everything, Everything all of those adaptations for YA books. But she was fabulous in this. But there is one major change from the book to the movie. And it is the ending scene. And I won't tell you what it is because it'll completely give it away. But the ending scene in the movie didn't even exist in the book, but Angie Thomas, the author said that she was okay with it. She said she felt like it was the perfect ending for the movie itself. And it kind of brings in a whole new sort of aspect of these social justice issues that are going on in the book and the movie. And so if you read the book, then watch the movie, it'll be shocking. The ending will be shocking because you weren't prepared for it. But I think that you will also really like it as well. So I highly recommend both the book and the movie, even though they're hard, even though they're on hard topics, I think that they're important topics. And I think that they will give you lots to talk about with your friends, your parents, your teachers, uh, that sort of thing. James, did you read The Hate You Give? I know it's realistic fiction, which isn't really your genre. Did you read it? Um, No, I haven't read it yet. Did you, I guess, did you, didn't see the movie either? Uh, No, I've heard of the book though. Yeah. I didn't know there was a movie for it. Oh, okay. See, you learn something new every day. Um, Go ahead, Jen. I was just going to say, I will say the book maybe is probably for older middle schoolers, but the movie could be for middle schoolers of any age. It did get a PG-13 rating, but they, they took out some of the more like graphic things that were in the story. So I know you're in sixth grade, James. I think that the movie would be completely appropriate for your age to watch, but the book is a little bit probably on the older middle school age range. That's good information. I did read the book and enjoyed it very much. And I have not seen the movie and had no idea that the ending was different. So now I really want to see the movies just to see how how that was done and how that was handled. I really did love, 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 love the book. And on a side note, I'm also reading the prequel to The Hate You Give right now called Concrete Rose. And I may even like it better than The Hate wow. You Give. 
Yeah. Okay. It's really good. It's about Star's father back when he was a teenager. So it kind of happens like 15 years before. And it's really good too. Nice. I had heard Concrete Rose was out, but I didn't realize it was a prequel. Um, and I think Angie Thomas is an excellent author. Agreed. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. So I'm going to talk about all kinds of these things we've already talked about. So the movie I'm going to talk about is Hunger Games. There were a lot, a lot, a lot of good books that have been turned into movies. So it was hard to pick, but I picked the Hunger Games for one particular reason, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But first I want to say Hunger Games is one of the only series that I read in its entirety. I had avoided reading it for a really long time because I did not see the appeal of reading about a group of children who have to fight to the death in order to bring honor to their communities. Did not appeal to me at all. But um, one night I was out with a bunch of girlfriends and they talked me into it. So I read the first one and I was hooked. I binged read the rest of the books in only a couple of weeks, but it was over the summer. So I had the time for that. But I became so invested in the characters. So when I went to go see the movie, I took my daughter, who also read the entire series, and we saw it at the bird. So here's the reason I picked this book. And I am going to give like a little bit of a spoiler. So if, if you haven't read the books or seen the movies, I'm going to tell you something that happens, which isn't really crucial to the story, but crucial to my story. So we're in the bird theater and we're watching the movie. And when we get to the point where Rue dies, my daughter and I are bawling. And in that moment, you could tell who had read the book and who hadn't because anybody who had read the book was also in tears. And those people who hadn't were, they were, it might've been sad, but nobody was crying. And that's what I think like the difference between a book, one of the big differences between a book in a movie. And the books just allow you a personal touch that a movie just doesn't have time to do. John Green has this YouTube video out and it's called The Book is Better? Question mark. He is an author where many of his books have been adapted into movies. And he says, and this is probably different for you, for your book, Jen, The Hate You Give, because Angie Thomas had a, a large say into what happened in that movie. But he says authors have one decision in the making of that adaptation, and that's whether or not they sell the rights. And when they sell the rights, the person who has bought it can do anything they want to that script. And I think what he, he deals with this situation because he gets a lot of blowback from fans who love his books, right? John Green's fans are avid. And so when the movie comes out and it doesn't live up to their expectations, they take it out on him. So I think he's kind of addressing this issue. But he says, if a book sells 50,000 copies in its first year, it's amazing. Like that's a very successful book. But if a movie only sells 500,000 tickets in its first weekend, it's considered a failure. So movies have to appeal to a much broader audience than a book does. And when you're appealing to a much broader audience, you're not going to have that opportunity to develop the empathy that you would inside a book. So his point is, are books better than movies isn't the question. A book is different than a movie. Books are personal to a reader in a way that movies can't ever be. So movies have to appeal to a broader audience than books do, but that doesn't make them bad 
It's just different. And I would encourage anybody to go out and watch his video. It's called The Book Was Better? Question mark. And it'll give you a new appreciation for book adaptations. And I think James was saying the same thing, right? The movie How to Train Your Dragons was totally different than the books, but both were good. And if you can kind of separate that, like go to the movie because you love the book, but don't expect to see the book on the screen. If you go into it without that expectation, I think you'll be able to enjoy both the book and the movie. That's really interesting. You know, I kind of knew that, that for the most part, authors don't really have a lot of say in the way their book is adapted into a movie format. I think that is a lot to ask of dedicated, loyal readers because... (laughs) Because lots of times you fall in love with books and characters. And so it's, you know, it's just not going to be the same if it doesn't live up to what you loved about the book. I think that's true. I I will say, you know, when I was in that theater, I still loved Rue. You know, when she died, it was awful, like tore my heart apart. Lots of food for thought when we, uh, in the future going forward, when we read a book and then watch the movie adaptation, lots of things to keep in mind. Absolutely. Well, let's dive into our last segment of the podcast, which is our YA news. And there wasn't a lot of news that I have going on in the larger YA world, but Barbara was kind enough to remind me that we have some news in the YA world in the Richmond area. As she mentioned earlier in the podcast, we did have our annual Yava Award celebration a couple weekends ago. And so I thought that it would be great to announce how that ended up, how the awards ended up. We had eight authors attend the event. We had nine total nominees this past year. And from those, we had a panel of teen judges read and evaluate these books over the course of like nine months, read and evaluated these books and determined two finalists and one winner. So one of the finalists was uh, Lamar Giles for his book, Spin. Finalist number two was a book called We Are the Perfect Girl, and it was written by Ariel Kaplan. And then as the winner, they selected a book called Orpheus Girl by author Bryn Rebel Henry. And so Bryn, the author, will actually be coming back as part of being a winner. She'll be coming back to our library this fall to do a program. So be on the lookout for that. And also, as we record, today is May 2nd. On Monday, May 3rd, we'll be releasing our nominees for the uh, 2022 Yava Award. So be on the lookout for that. Perhaps you might want to read them before our event next spring. And We'll be opening up our application period for teens who live in Virginia and are between the ages of 12 and 18 who might want to apply to be a judge for the next award. So we'll be accepting applications from now until June 18th. So if you want to go to our website, it's rvalibrary.org backslash events, plural, backslash Yava, Y-A-V-A. And I'll link that in our show notes too, in case you're interested in becoming a teen judge. And I hope all of you are interested in becoming a teen judge. Please apply. All right. What a great episode. We had a lot to talk about today. I want to thank everyone for joining us for this month's episode of Between the Lines. Thank you, James, for serving as our guest co-host this month. You're welcome. Tune in next month for all new books and YA news. And be sure to follow us on Spotify so you'll be alerted when new episodes go live. 
And if you're interested in being a teen guest host like me, please reach out to Jen or Barbara. Their contact info is in the show notes. Until next time. Happy Happy reading. reading!